2: Welcome to Bisburg. I'm your host, Gary Dixon. Thanks for joining us today. This program is sponsored by Abernethy and Hagerman LLC. And our guests are attorneys Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer. Thanks, Gary. Hi, Gary. How are you? Jay and I have done, uh, this is the 11th program we've done together. And Dan is relatively new to Bisburg. We've done one previous show together, but uh, welcome back to you as well. And We talked uh, last time we were together a lot about uh, trusts and so forth, and we're talking about assets at time of death. We're talking about estate plans and how to protect yourself and your family and your assets. That's what these these guys kind of are all about and what they do. From working with you, too, in the past, I know that probably the biggest question that you get is, how do I protect my house from the government getting it and or the nursing home?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And when I meet with clients, typically that's their number one concern It's protecting assets. Um, and the Medicaid rules are quite complicated, distilled to their core. Essentially, for a married couple, there are certain assets that are exempt. The house is exempt. One car is exempt. A couple of prepaid burial reserves are exempt. And then the stuff that you accumulate in your house, those are exempt as long as one or the other of the spouses had. Uh, expresses a desire to live in the house again, even though that may not be realistic. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that that's how we keep the house as an exempt resource. But what if, you know, mom's in the nursing home and dad decides to sell the house? That happens a lot, doesn't it? It does. It's mostly the other way around, right? Where dad goes into the nursing home and mom just can't keep it up because her Mm -hmm. income isn't nearly enough to maintain it. She can't pay the kid to mow the lawn. The taxes are getting out of control, and she's forced to sell it. And the minute she sells the house, she has now taken what was an exempt resource and made it into a bag of money. And, of course, where do you think the money goes? Right. So you lose the house on the front end. And then, of course, the way the government works is if you die having been in a nursing home and having been on Medicaid, that federal benefit that pays for long-term stays in the nursing home, whatever assets flow to your kids or grandkids through the will, through probate, have to get paid back up to the amount that mom and dad were.
2: And a lot of people don't, I think, realize that the Medicaid is really just a loan, right? right? Great
1: point. They're loaning you the money. They're not really giving it to you. They're loaning it to you, and they're taking it from your kids after you die. Mm-hmm. That's right. If you, Without any kind of planning, this is the system
0: that we operate in. Right, and one of the things that I just want to be clear on is the fact that the nursing homes and the government are not in the business of being realtors taking your property and trying to sell it at market that just doesn't happen what happens then is as dan described in the two events is you know you either are forced to sell the property while someone's in the facility because of you know the burden of taxes mm-hmm. uh, or, or any any type of upkeep utilities those don't stop going away because one person is in the facility the other thing is upon death of one or both of them depending on how that works the government asserts a claim which that's a fancy word for our lawsuit essentially against the probate estate or the will-based plan estate of um, your loved one to get paid back before any money goes to a beneficiary. So the idea here
2: is to lessen the amount of money that the government gets and the amount of assets of yours that they get and to maximize what your loved ones walk away with when all is said and done. Is a trust the only way to avoid that?
1: It's not the only way. I would argue it's the best way. Right. The typical way that people like to do it, they go to the beauty shops and the barber shops and they say to each other, hey, just sign your house over to the kids. And people do that. You see it in the newspaper all the time. For $1 transferred from mom and dad to the kids, right? Mm -hmm. Putting the house in your kids' names. Well, there's a number of issues with that. The first is a tax mistake, and I won't get deep into the tax issues, but you're exposing the sale of that house to capital gains tax. When you give a house to a kid while you're still alive, you give them the carryover basis, and so if they sell the house never having lived in it, it's a 15% tax. The second mistake you've made by deeding the house to the kids is you've lost control, haven't you? If the kid gets into a fender bender, gets divorced, files for bankruptcy, they're just a knucklehead. That house that you're living in, that you gave to your kids,
2: it's
0: not yours anymore. It's not yours anymore, right? Well, sadly, I've even seen it where what happens is it's not really uh, in the scheme of nature, but where a child predeceases their parent, who who, who the parent deeded the house to for a dollar, so therefore, then the kids or excuse me, the parent had to pay inheritance tax on their own home.
1: Or a bank account. That, that happens all the time.
0: Uh, See, the uh, layman would never
2: think exactly, of oh, that kind of thing. That's why you guys are here. Right. Okay.
1: So you lose control. Uh, you expose the house to all of the kids' creditors and predators and circumstances. And, and it's just, you know, it, it's not the way to do it. The better way to do it would be to put it into a place where you still have control you, have, uh, you avoid the tax problem because the way I build these trusts is upon death of mom and dad, the assets get the stepped-up tax basis, so there isn't that capital gain tax. Yes, there'll be an inheritance tax, but four and a half is better than 15, right? Right. right. Um, and you don't expose the assets to the kids' creditors and predators. So putting it into a trust like that is a much better way to do it. Plus, it provides that layer of protection for the one spouse that might be going into a facility for a very long time leaving the, house, the spouse still living at home with very little to live on. That's the, the reason why these trusts are very, very popular right now. Are there three parties in a trust? Yeah. So the, the parties that create the trust, we call them settlers in Pennsylvania. They're also called grantors, trust makers.
2: In English, please? The people that create
1: the trust, right? Yeah. That's just <laughs> they write, the rule, it's just, they write yeah. the rule book. Right? Right. They create the trust and they put their stuff into it. They, okay. they fund the trust with their stuff. Uh, the second party of every trust is the manager of the trust, to use a,
2: mm-hmm. an everyday oh, person oh, yeah.
1: right? The manager is called the trustee. Their job is to manage the trust assets in an appropriate fashion. They have a, a fiduciary obligation under the Pennsylvania Trust Code to act appropriately. You know, they can't go out and buy cryptocurrency with all the money in right, the stock, right. right, or something like that. And no, no, no offense to the cryptocurrency guys out there. but And then, of course, there's the beneficiaries. Now, a helpful tip to your listeners, if you can be one of those things – Be the beneficiary, right? Because the (laughs) beneficiary is the one who benefits Mm -hmm. from the assets. So those are the three parties of every trust. And as the trust exists, there might be distributions from the trust to one of the beneficiaries. Uh, There might be an accumulation of assets. The assets in the trust might continue to grow. And if it's in an irrevocable trust, the growth is all protected from the nursing home and the creditors and predators. It's a wonderful strategy to qualify folks for a government benefit that to me, they should be entitled to, because they have pumped a lot of money over the years into the tax system.
2: I think a lot of people hear this kind of discussion and think, ah, that's for rich people. It's easier probably for rich people than for people who aren't rich to, uh, if you are not what you, whatever rich is, if you're not rich, you probably need this even more. So almost everyone has some amount of assets. We would assume that they want Whatever's there, whether it's ten thousand dollars or ten million dollars, to
0: go to people that they love. Right. When you think about it, the less the less you have, the more of a legacy you have to lose. And it's as simple as that, right? And this can all go away. I mean, this can all be at least dealt with uh, if you plan properly. So one of the the, the key characteristics we like to talk, talk to people was, I mean, you know, if you come in and talk to us and plan ahead of time. Once again, it's like going into a game plan uh, before before kickoff, or mm-hmm. before the puck drops, or I guess before the first pitch. If we're using all of our three sports teams, right? Um, that makes a lot of sense in a lot of occasions. Whenever we're halfway through the game and we have to alter our plan, we could be down, we could be da- losing, right? And the plan is different at that point. We're playing catch up, and our rules are different. So you know, while it may not be a priority, I think that we have to to realize that seventy percent of people. Uh, are going to go to a long term care facility for some period of time uh, that 's just that 's not my statistic that 's u uh, yeah, s Department. I've heard of it before yeah, u s yeah. department of human services statistic uh, and and we just have to realize that the other misnomer that we people think about is that Medicare, which is um, our nation 's national health care program after the age of sixty five will take care of that and that is not true. Uh, Medicare Part A t- only takes care of you for a little bit of time, and it only has, it's only after a qualified hospital stay too. So, the the system that we've been paying money to our whole life uh, isn't necessarily going to quote unquote have our back through the through the end tough parts. Uh, and we really have to, if we want to create a legacy if, uh, for our family, frankly, or for any loved ones, or even for charities for that matter, uh, we need to have a plan. And, and it, the time is now to to think about it.
2: All right, very important. You are listening to Bisberry. That's the name of the program. I'm Gary Dixon, and our guests are Attorneys Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer with Abernethy and Hagerman. The website is a-h.law, and the phone number is 412-486-6624. Jay, can you just cover again for us how these asset protection trusts
0: work? Right. And, Gary, this is going to be a 30,000-foot overview for the right. listeners, generally speaking. So, you know, I, I refer to um, these asset protection trusts, these irrevocable trusts, as kind of like a bucket. Um, and you can you can put certain things in. I know Dan likes to refer to it as a vehicle, like a wagon, right? Mm-hmm. But in any event, it is the type of a vehicle that you, you basically transfer assets into. You give up certain controls over the assets. And once again, each each trust is different. Um, you retain some powers over the assets as well, which gives you some potential capital gain tax benefits. But in a, in eventually, um, one of the biggest assets that you most likely deed over into the trust uh, is your primary residence. Um, once that primary residence is in there, that, that, that uh, primary residence is no longer subject to um, The powers of your will—it's now in the powers of the trust, which has its own playbook that you design with us. So after a certain period of time, the creditors, such as nursing homes, don't have any recourse to uh, go ahead and attach on that asset and and basically use it as an available resource for any, uh, you know, for any payment systems. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of times, what I hear too, some some people find this this planning style as potentially objectionable because we're, you know, even though you're availing yourself to the laws on the books, and certainly we didn't, us lawyers, we didn't create the laws. Congress did, and, and we're not in Congress, um, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> but in any event, um, we didn't, we, we're just helping our clients navigate the rules. So, so Dan, have you, ever had, um, have you ever had any of your clients or even some of their trusted advisors uh, really object to some of the asset protection planning that we do?
1: I have. I've I've had a couple of financial advisors basically say that what uh, we do is, in their view, immoral. And and I, I gave them a puzzled look and said, "Well, why is it immoral?" Well, because you're getting clients positioned in a way to protect their assets and then get them on a government benefit. You know, if clients have money, they should pay for what they need. And I, I've thought about that over the years, and I've I've come up with a, a story to tell them, which often keeps them from responding. But it's, it's my version of the prodigal son story. So if you follow this story, and it's one of my favorites from Scripture, you got two sons. The one son is responsible. He has a good job. He pays his fair share of taxes into the system. And at age 85, he has a stroke and he needs a nursing home. And now you shift to the prodigal son who left the household, squandered his inheritance, never had a job, never paid a dime of taxes, lived off of everybody else and every government benefit— And at age 85, he has a stroke. Well, the way our system works, we are going to immediately pay for the care for the prodigal son. Immediately. Mm -hmm. But the guy that was responsible and was able to save a few hundred thousand dollars for himself and his wife and his family, well, we're going to take all of that money first before we pay for his care. I just don't think that's fair. So we help clients that are responsible. We help clients get some of that tax money that they have put in all of their lives.
2: Right. So, yeah, we're paying for bad bad behavior, or the government is, in that case. Exactly right. You're saying,
1: you know what, you're better off to be completely broke because then everything will be paid for. And don't think for one second that what we're doing is we're doing it specifically so that the kids get an inheritance. Yes, that's an important part of it. I'm more concerned with the wife that's still living at home and is going to live another 30 years, and her husband develops something early on in life. What is she going to live on? The Medicaid rules say she's only allowed to keep about $126,000. How's that going to last for 30 years? It won't. Right. Um. So if I can put assets into an irrevocable trust that are unavailable to the nursing home but available to the kids and the grandkids who could use that money to help mom if she ever needed anything, Mm -hmm. that's the kind of strategy that I think is resonating with a lot of folks.
2: It's all about protecting the people
0: you love in the long run. The other thing that I think I want to point out is the fact that um, well, it's, it seems like we talk about this. There, there is no one plan. So the one good thing is, whenever you visit Abernathy and Hagerman, you know you're going to sit down with myself or with Dan uh, in this realm, and you know we're going to we're going to get the list of of, of actors in the play, the, the beneficiaries, the current you know the, you and your spouse potentially, um, you know each family has their own fact pattern. Yeah, everybody has different. their own. Everyone's different. Has the, we're not going to say you know. Based on your fact pattern, every single person is walking out of here with an asset protection trust. That is the last thing that we will ever do. Frankly, what we're going to do is we're going to sit you down. We're going to hear all of the... um well, we're going to listen. That's the thing. We're going to hear all of the, mm-hmm. the fact patterns and all of the beneficiaries and everything else like that. And then we're going to give you door A, door B, and door C. And we believe – that's why we do these BizBergs is because we believe that an educated consumer can make their own decision. And uh, that's half of our job is really educating you in order to make your own decision by giving you the upside, the downside, and, and – uh, basically prioritizing this trusted advisors yeah we'll do whatever you want but you just have to be educated to know Mm -hmm. because as we all we talked about this you know you don't know what you don't know so that's one of the important things that we're here for is to try to educate uh, the consumer and make sure that you get all the information before you make that decision
2: so we encourage you to reach out and get in touch with Abernethy and Hagerman here is the website it's a-h.law a-h.law and the phone number is 412-486-6624. 412-486-6624. Okay, now we've talked about creating a trust. After a trust has been created, uh, what is the next step after that for the for the client? Sure, Gary.
1: Well, a trust is just a document, right? right? I can't tell you the number of times people have come to meet with me. They uh, they place a binder in front of me, and it's a beautiful-looking leather-bound portfolio and I say, "Oh, this looks nice. What is it?" It's, it's it's a revocable trust. And I say, "Well, what's in it?" And they give me this kind of puzzled look. "Well, what's in your trust?" I don't know. Mm. <laughs> so y- if you create a trust, you have to get assets retitled to the trust or it's just an empty document that does nothing for you. So I funding see. is the term used to get the assets from the clients, either jointly or individually. Into the trust. So the type of assets that we would put into a trust, a house. How do we get the house into the trust? Well, we prepare a new deed. Okay. We deed the house from John and Jane Smith to John and Jane Smith as trustees of the Smith Family Trust, for example. Uh, bank accounts. We go to the bank. Client goes to the bank with a perhaps armed with a letter of instruction for me that says we've created the, uh, the John and Jane Smith Family Trust. We'd like to have our bank accounts retitled to that trust. And so the bank will prepare paperwork to get the account changed from them as husband and wife to them as trustees of the trust. Uh, Life insurance policies. you got to get forms to get the ownership changed if you want the the policies themselves to be owned by the trust or if you want the beneficiary of the life insurance to be the trust so that if dad dies, the money doesn't get dumped on mom's lap, it goes into the trust and protected from mom's creditors and predators. Again, it's all part of the paperwork. That's all part of the process of funding a trust. Okay. Um, and then, you know, in terms of IRAs, and, and I, that's a, a hot-button topic right now, there's a new law called the SECURE Act that's looking to do, among other things, change the way that kids can inherit an IRA from mom and dad. They're looking to, to limit the stretch for the kids to about a 10-year period. So I've been creating a, a good number of what we call IRA trusts that are designed to stretch the IRA for the benefit of the kids, as well as put that hedge of protection around it for them, keeping it away from divorces and creditors and predators. Um, So after the the trust is funded, the trustees have control over all of the assets that are in the trust. Uh, And as trustees, they have the ability to sign paperwork. They have the ability to manage the assets. They have the ability to sell the house, buy a new house. A lot of clients think that if they put their house into an irrevocable trust, they can never sell it. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. They're not selling it as John and Jane Smith anymore. They're selling it as John and Jane Smith trustees of the Smith Family Trust. They still go to the closing and they put comma trustee on the end of those documents.
2: Well, it seems to me what you guys offer is options. Lots of options, uh, which is a good thing.
1: We're not cookie cutter,
2: right? Right. Absolutely. And you also appear to work with you work well with others. Yeah. You work with the financial people, the CPAs, the insurance people. You even work uh, with the nursing home administrators as well
0: in some cases, right? Sure. So one of the things that makes our law firm a little bit different than you know any other law firm out there or even a specific elder law law firm out there is the fact that, well, what we do is a state's trust in elder law all day every day. I couldn't even get you out of a parking ticket if I wanted to. I, I just don't do it. Um, we don't touch that. We don't touch criminal or family law. We, I don't. I don't even. I couldn't even do a no fault divorce. I don't even know what paperwork to file. and I don't care. What mm-hmm. I care about is making sure that your family is protected the way that you want it. And, and to speak to Gary's point about working well with others, um, you know, different professionals have different areas of expertise. So, for instance, we don't recommend stocks, bonds, mutual funds. I could. Once again, that's not my 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 skill set. What we what we like to do is oftentimes. The client has a financial advisor, has a trusted CPA, and um, you know they said, "Well, my my financial advisor says that I should do this to protect my assets," and we say, "Sure, that's one financial approach, but a financial advisor or a CPA can't write a legal document, at least not legally. <laughs> I mean, they can certainly try to unauthorize practice law, but that's a misdemeanor. In any event, um, what happens is what we like to do is. I like to say, well, why don't we try to call them right now and get them on the phone? So I bring out my big speaker and I put it on the desk and I try to get a hold of the financial advisor and say, why don't we have a group think here?
1: Mm-hmm. Why don't
0: we we really have a, a holistic approach to the entire retirement slash legacy process and. I find that that's pretty different. I mean, typically lawyers want to stay in their, their, their left lane and, and then the financial advisors stay in the right lane. And yeah, but just they may not know highway. what each other is doing. Exactly. The right, right hand has to know what the left hand is doing. And that's why I, I love just pulling out that speakerphone or even just saying if they're not available, hey, why don't I give them a call? Um, the good thing is that's part of our… And it's part of our process so therefore the client's not paying any extra for it that's something that we just do because it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. and uh we'll, you know we talk about the tax consequences and if you're CPAs your trusted advisor in that hey we speak tax too uh i mean i'm a federally licensed us tax court attorney so i have no problem uh talking about the you know the nerd in me loves the regulations and the internal revenue code <laughs> uh and, and, you know that's i can almost, it, <laughs> can almost quote almost quote line and verse, uh, that's you know true almost too. Uh, just like the Bible, right, but in any event, or um, well, you must be fun at a party, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life of the party talking about federal regulations, yeah yeah, in any event, but that's that's something that you get with our law firm is that fact that uh, we 're not going to let you go it alone, and, and you know once again, if you've trusted advisors, one set of eyes on a document isn 't necessarily the best, so we want to get a bunch of different eyes and you get a bunch of different opinions, and a lot of times we, we call it a multidisciplinary approach. Um, to the whole, the whole process of, once again, retiring, leaving a legacy, and then also managing risk with the one risk being what happens if we get sick and go to a nursing home.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it really does set your law firm apart in the fact that you really are willing and more than willing to work uh, with other experts that, that this particular uh, client maybe uh, has worked with for many years. You problem solve, and you bring in other people uh, to help with that if uh, if that'll help,
0: right? And one of the neat things, too, about, and that's why I'm so glad to have, you know, uh, Chris involved, Chris Abernathy, my partner, and Phil Luciano, another attorney, and course Dan Reimer now, I mean, just because you meet with one attorney doesn't necessarily mean that... that that's the only attorney looking at your case. You know, there's a lot of times that the Dan comes up to me and, or even Phil and Chris say, "Yeah, hey, what do you think about this?" And we just kind of bounce ideas off each other because we don't take the approach that there's a cookie cutter thing. Mm-hmm. We love to just try to literally problem solve, as you said, for the best case scenario. And um, you know, while we have our own offices, they're, they're all right next to each other, and we're all the doors are always open. So um, even internally, the clients getting. You know four brains that are that focus on this area of law all day every day in mm-hmm. order to try to give them the best possible plan what more could you ask for gary another thing that we also do is is pretty unique to our law firm too and i'm not afraid to say it and i would actually love to say it to the listenership is the fact that uh, most days before we even open up a book or look at a case file or anything else um, you know the attorneys all get together and we we huddle in prayer and uh, we go to the Lord, and we pray for um, we pray for our clients, we pray for our families, uh, we pray for our cases. Um, we also we also pray that you know we are a, the law firm becomes a beacon in the community to make the community a better place. Um, that's pretty unique. And um, so, if you become a client of ours, you're going to get prayed for whether you like it or not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think there's a huge downside to that. But no. you know, the bottom line you know the bottom line is you know. Lawyers get a bad rap in, in this day and age, but, you know, we're a function of, of necessity, frankly. And uh, the good thing is we're not adversarial lawyers. We don't, as, as Dan said before, he's done, he doesn't fight anymore because he used to be in the courtroom. Now we're transactional lawyers in the sense that we just want to really help our community. And, and once again, we pray for every single person that crosses the threshold of our, our door. And that's something that really sets us apart, I think.
2: I think you're right on that point. I couldn't have, couldn't have said it better myself. Very good please consider making contact with Abernethy and Hagerman and uh, talk to them about your estate planning and uh, get that taken care of early rather than late. But either way, they can certainly help you. Here is the website. It's a-h.law, a-h.law, and the phone number is 412-486-6624. So thank you very much, uh, guys, for all the great information, again, on the program. Uh, thanks for coming in. And uh, we've been speaking uh, today with Jay Hagerman and also Dan Reimer, who are with Abernethy and Hagerman. Thanks again, guys. Yeah, thank thanks you for Gary. having us, Gary. This program is sponsored by Abernethy and Hagerman, LLC.